You are listening to the Citrep Podcast, your source for everything related to historical wargaming. Whether you are looking for the latest wargaming news, reviews, painting tutorials, or playthroughs, you will hear about it right here. So grab your favorite beverage or brush and let's hit it. Hello, everybody. This is Bill, and you're listening to the Citrep Podcast. And as always, hitting around the table across the world is the command team and joining us today is the entire team and let us start with our historical editor-in-chief big jim mariskini jim how are you doing on a sunny sunday florida sunday morning afternoon um as a matter of fact, I am enjoying some glorious 70-degree uh, weather, in fact. Damn it. Huh. Grand. That's just grand. As we sit here in the Midwest freezing or took us off at a negative 3 degrees or negative 27 degrees Fahrenheit with the wind chill. You were living in Key West. You had your chance. I know I did. <laughs> I will go back. God dang it. All right. So um, also joining us. In the tepid climates of the United Kingdom, Mr. Gaz, how are you, sir? I am good today. Not bad at all. Good. And here, freezing with me in the Midwest, is our uh, projects manager, Marty. Hello, all from uh, let's see, it's a balmy negative two raw temperature at my house, so uh, <laughs> it will be all indoor activity today. You know, there is the thing called heat. You don't have to, you know, live the outside life. Well, yeah, the heat's inside. That's why I'm staying there. <laughs> and then also I joining us the whole outside. <laughs> is our IT manager, Mr. Chris. Sir, how are you today? Doing good. And it's negative two here as well. Yep. Unfortunately, dog doesn't want to go outside. I know. I that, know that is kind of hard when you have to push the dogs outside to, you know, use the turlet. All right. Yep. So. We are now in episode three of season six, and we've got a lot to talk about today. And I thought we'd do our usual let's catch up with who's doing what. And we're going to start with Gaz. Uh, I know you've been pretty busy with work. Have you been able to do any hobbying or gaming? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a short episode. All right. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all I've done is uh, I've researched and I've uh, ordered a new mic. So I can get some better sound for the podcast. Oh, nice! What did, what did you uh, uh, end up getting? Five Fine K six six nine. It's um, one of the cheaper ones, but it's supposed to be very good for the price range. Okay, awesome. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see if you guys hear a difference. Um, I think it's about ten days out, so maybe in the next episode. All right. Well, we'll have to t- listen and see. All right, Sir Jim. You've had a lot of Desert Storm and Desert Shield projects going on. The Op Center's cooking right along. You've got another episode coming out in a week, and you've got some gaming going on as well. You want to give us the rundown? Um, yeah, there's actually a lot going on here. Uh, so um, part three of the Op Center for Desert Storm uh, has gone out recently. Part four goes out next Saturday. That's going to be um, February uh, 13th. Uh, for people who may want to check it out, that's like part four where we wrap things up for Desert Storm um, on the Op Center series. So there's been a lot of buildup, a lot of ground war preliminaries, a lot of air war, obviously. 
And uh, the ground war finally kind of kicked off at the end of uh, episode three. Episode four is nothing but ground war and nothing about gaming, nothing but gaming in the ground war. So, yeah, all the big ones. Um, Al Busaya, uh, 73 Easting, Medina Ridge, uh, Norfolk, uh, Wadi Al Batin, uh, Kuwait International Airport, um, Al Rumaya, uh, yeah, or the Royal Oil Fields. Um, all the real big. Holy crap, I can't believe this is happening again. You know, battles that mm-hmm. took place uh, right there at the end of uh, Desert Storm. Um, so, yeah, we've got stuff in 50 millimeter on the tabletop coming out. Um, we're, we've uh, completed and filmed, and we're now editing another, uh, another uh, tabletop video. This time it is going to be the Marines breaching some of the Iraqi berms uh, in Kuwait at um, Jabra Air Base. And then later on, we'll do uh, Kuwait International Airport. We've also got some Tactical Command, uh, Tactical Combat Middle East gaming coming up. Uh, that's the modern edition for Panzer Leader mm-hmm. uh, for the big scale uh, gaming. Um, we've got a game going on later today where we're literally just, I mean, because everyone's watching either Super Bowl or rugby or God knows what else. Um, we're doing a, a, just a quick, or I'm doing just a, like a quick demo game, like a couple turns of, you know, what, these battles actually look like on the gaming table. Um, so games that are too big, a little too big, even for Panzer Leader. Oh, okay. uh, that's what's going out later today is um, true scale uh, brigade, you know, maneuver level um, gaming. The, the game board is 16 kilometers wide. I've got something like 8,000 men on the table, 400 vehicles. Uh, never mind aircraft and artillery. It's, it's a huge battle. It's, it's the front end of two divisions. First Marine and Iraqi Fifth Mechanized, um, 25 February uh, 1991. So that's G Day plus one. Wow. Um, yeah, it's it's a big one. It, we'll probably do like two or three turns at most, just to kind of show people like how this kind of game or how this kind of battle actually takes place. Uh-huh. There's 2,800 hexes on the table. Each hex is an eight by eight, 15 millimeter table. Okay. So to do this in Flames of War, you would need literally 2,800 tables at eight by eight. Um, that's the scale that modern war actually happens at, um, unless you're doing something skirmish wise. So yeah, we're going to take a look at that. Um, of course we're doing stuff, a much more modest scale in 15 millimeter and, uh, yeah, more op centers coming out. So, um, and just to make sure that we don't get completely bored, we're we're hitting desert storm very heavily throughout the rest of February. Well, it is the anniversary. anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. It's here on the sit red podcast. We do, you know, Modern warfare. There is no war, modern war bigger than Desert Storm. It's the biggest modern war there is. Mm-hmm. Um, leaving aside stuff like Team Yankee and you know stuff that never happened. It's not historical. Um, as far as actual wars that took place, it's uh, yeah, it's it's and it's the 30th anniversary. We're not going to have another decade anniversary until you know 2031. You know who knows what I'm going to be doing in 2031. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, we want to hit it very hard today. Right. Uh, we're not just doing Desert Storm. We also had some great uh, Battlefield Rebellion uh, last week. Uh, yes, Bill. we did. Yes, right, we there did. You go, Kings Mountain. Yeah. Good deal. Yeah, that was a really good game. And um, now that it's over, I can be honest and say I surprised myself by actually winning. Um, and actually coming up with that line formation towards the end of the game. Jim, to be honest with you, sir, that was not my intention. Um, yeah. 
I, I thought I would do like almost like the horns of the buffalo and push you into the, you know, and then envelop you. But it just seemed, you know, movement wise, it made more sense to push that line and just go that way. So, um, yeah, that was not my original game plan, but that's how it ended up. So, but uh, no, that was a really good game. Um, you know, and the nice thing, um, I guess we could talk about it now. I put it on my list, but uh, when it came to that, I was looking at, you know, I've been to that battlefield, you know, as we said in the video, and playing it on the tabletop, you know, albeit it was Hex hex Encounter, but being to that battlefield and actually seeing in my mind what the terrain was like and the actual battlefield was like back then, obviously it's probably changed a little bit since, but um, it really put a real good perspective on it. And I could see the guys struggling to go through the woods and, you know, trying to get online. And so it really enhanced my gaming experience. And I thought the rule set is really well done. Um, oh, cool. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, being the, being you, you were saying also in the, in, the, in the stream, you know, if you ever have a chance to do battlefield tours, um, it's always good to do a little bit of, you know, commander's reconnaissance. You know, if you ever can, you know, to actually travel to these battlefields. Yeah. I've been to Saratoga a couple of times. Um, uh, Ariskany, <laughs> although there's not much left of Ariskany, uh, to be honest. Um, Battle of Ariskany, bunch of Civil War ones, obviously. You go up and down through, you know, Shenandoah Valley in Virginia, Gettysburg, oh, that's in Pennsylvania. Um, back to Shenandoah Valley. Uh, let's see, Fredericksburg is up there. Um, is the only one I've been to. I know there's a bunch of others. Um, so I think my favorite was, uh, at about 6.45 in the morning in 2014, I didn't quite make it in June because security would have been crazy. Uh, about 6.45 in the morning, we drove out to uh, Omaha Beach at the Dog Green sector and uh, took off my shoes. And I walked about uh, 100 yards out into the surf. And then you turn around again about 7 o'clock in the morning and you look up at those bluffs while you're standing there like, you know, waist deep in the surf. Yeah. Um, that is a moment in your life. If you ever get a chance to do it, um, you know, get there at the right tide, get there when the, you know, the right time of day, the, the tides there are very, very extreme. So you kind of have to time that correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and you actually get a look, of course, you know, it's all the bunkers are gone. It's all been replaced with like a lot. There's a lot of civilian housing there now, but if you ever get a chance to go to places like Omaha beach, um, I went to all the invasion beaches, obviously Merville Battery. Everybody goes to that Granville Battery. Uh, Sand, I can't remember the other one. Uh, the big 10.5 centimeters that are between Gold and uh, um, Omaha Beach. Um, the name escapes me at the moment. Uh, long, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it in French. Uh, yeah, but a lot of these old sites, if you ever get a chance to go to any uh, any battlefield, you know, and then gaming on that battlefield afterwards, yeah, it definitely adds a new dimension. To be sure. Yeah. Um, it's definitely on my bucket list to do. Um, years ago, when I first got to the 82nd, um, that year, they actually had a group of paratroopers that were going to go do in June, uh, do the uh, anniversary jump into St. Mary Glees or the area around it. Um, and I really wanted to go, but obviously I was a newbie at the time and I didn't you know i had no pull with anything so i didn't get a chance to go but that would be awesome you know to jump into um a place like that and i know once in a while they do civilian what they call familiarization jumps that you know in places like that so 
that's definitely on my bucket list to do. But yeah, I definitely want to go and see the D-Day uh, landing zones and that kind of stuff. So that is really, really awesome. Um, Some of them are a little disappointing because they've, you know, obviously it's been 80 yeah. years and people have to get on with their lives. They have yeah. to build. So Carentan is pretty much Walmarts and, you know, strip <laughs> malls. Yeah. Um, or whatever their version of, I can't remember the name of the name of the actual chain, but it's basically their version of Walmart. Um, isn't it Asda owned by Walmart? Okay. Sorry, Jim, go ahead. Oh, no worries. Um, but he might be, uh, he might be on mute. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, San Mir, San Mir Iglis is actually kind of disappointing. It's, it's very, uh, it's, it's, it, they turned the whole town into a big museum pretty mm. much. And when I say museum, I mean, it's like Epcot. Um, um but some of the other ones, I mean, it's already commercialized. It's very touristy. Yeah. Uh, but you get off the road a little bit. You get to um, like San Marie de Mo. Uh, it, it looks perfect. I swear. I mean, I wasn't there in '44. God knows, I'm not that old. <laughs> but um, it look that's that, that's how you when you imagine how these towns look like in you know the second you know the the, the end part of World War II, it kind of looks exactly the way you know you think you know you kind of imagine in your mind. Sure. Um, that I would have. Uh, San Lo is still very, uh, it's still very, uh, it bears the scars. Um, they left some of the buildings intentionally the way they were. Oh, wow. So, yeah, there, there are some good spots and some bad spots. Um, of course, tons of monuments. Uh, when we first got there, I was driving around and I was like, oh, my God, my first, whole, like my first piece of military hardware, I think it was near uh, Pegasus Bridge was one of our first uh, stops. Uh-huh. And uh, I saw a 25 pounder. I was like, oh, we got to get out. I took like 50 photos. Of it. I was like, 25 pounder artillery piece. By the end of like day nine of this tour, I was like, oh, for God's sake, another 25 pound. I'm trying to park here. Somebody tow this heap of shit out of the way. You know, you're so over by that point because there's so much. Yeah. There's a museum on every corner. Uh-huh. Uh, it really is a great uh, tour to take if you ever get a chance very cool very cool um yeah that is definitely on my bucket list maybe we could do a sit rep podcast tour of battlefields or something maybe like uh the civil war battlefields or uh, i don't know you know maybe something down the road i could consider at some point so very cool um hey, bill you're talking about uh dave second i've got a buddy of mine who not only is airborne but there's a group of people who do the historical jumping. Yes. Yeah, out of so, Oklahoma. Yeah, so he's part of that group too. Yeah, I've looked at it, but the the only problem, again, is it's in Oklahoma, so I'd have to travel like once a month to the meetups. You know, they have like a – it's almost like being in the reserves or guard. You go for a weekend. Um, I mean, it's not terrible, but, you know, it's still – it's quite a commitment. And then you do a yeah. lot of those, you know – yeah, they use actual World War II equipment. I think they're using Dash 10s, but um, yeah, everything else I think is, um, you know, historical, you know, to the time period. So, but yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah, I've been looking at those guys for years because um, they're the only one in the United States that I'm aware of that actually physically jumps. Everybody else is like reenactors, but they don't, they're not, you know, jumping out of airplanes. So, but I always thought reenacting would be really cool, but it is a huge investment in time and money and everything else but uh, yeah very cool marty what you got going on sir well uh other than uh trying to uh maintain my warmth uh <laughs> been been driving on with uh a train for our uh ultra uh combat modern table uh are we ready to go for next sunday eight. or saturday 
for filming? Uh, just a, just about, just about. Uh, I've got everything. Like all the buildings are are painted. I need to finish weathering them up a little bit. Uh-huh. And, uh, doing some details. Uh, the trees need to be mounted to their base. But other than that, the I, you know, I got the cheap Chinese trees off of hey, Amazon. Whatever then, works, man. You know. Well, well, I re, yeah, I reflocked them yeah. so that way they they look a little better. Excellent. Uh, but I have to mount them on their their actual bases the bases are done i just need to mount them on there so, excellent uh you know i'm it's 90 percent uh ready is this to go, fire so, yeah, team squad or platoon level uh, it's fire team okay i'm picking uh, up two fire teams uh of each of the uh u.s and the russian guys so we'll have two fire teams to use do we need perfect, any other yeah, ancillary uh weapons squad weapons or that, support that weapons? Is, that's all you need for uh, the first scenario. Okay, so is it a single fire team or multiple fire teams? Just so I make sure I have the right amount it, of miniatures. It, it is one U.S. fire team and one Russian fire Perfect. team. Perfect. All right, we'll be ready to roll. Yeah. And no, because it's, it's uh, the way they, uh, the scenarios are set up in the book, it's kind of uh, uh, an escalation campaign where, you know, you start off with uh, this engagement, and then uh, as you go through, there's five scenarios total. Uh, you build with additional forces okay. uh, as you go through the campaign. So perfect. Yeah. Do, so uh, that's, do that's five really... more scenarios after that, Marty, and you, I'll, I'll get you to be playing Panzer leader after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I get it big enough that I need to need to go to hex encounter, you are my go-to Jim. <laughs> hey, I'm telling you what, hex I, started off with, I started off with the fire team. Now I have a brigade. What happened? Congratulations, general. <laughs> yeah. You got that star yeah. on your collar. Now you have to earn it. That's right. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, well, Anything I, else? Yeah, we're going. No, that that's really all I've uh, I've been working on. I I didn't do a whole lot uh, over the past uh, couple of weeks. Sure. I did have to wait for some stuff to come in to yeah. uh, be able to finish up some things. But uh, yeah, that's about it. All right, cool. Not a ton of commanded by a full bird. Say that again. A army brigade is commanded by a full bird. Okay. Uh, the rules lawyer pops up. Here we go. Um, why? <laughs> why do you say that? that Where'd that come from? Uh, that that's organizationally correct. That's that's how. No, I understand day, that, but uh, where did that come from? Why is Chris saying that now? That's what I'm asking. Oh, because I was on mute. I'm sorry. Say that again. Because I was on mute a minute ago. Yeah, Jim said, "General, uh, move your brigade." That's why yeah. you're saying it. Oh. That's why they call it a brigadier general. Uh, yeah, except in the ar- and the, the modern army, they don't command brigades. Uh, colonels command brigades. That's uh, colonel supposed to command a regiment. Uh, modern day army doesn't have regiments, not in the U.S. Oh, okay, that explains it. Yeah. All right. Uh, the classic go- model is a battalion is commanded by a lieutenant colonel. Regiment right. commanded by a colonel, brigadier general commanded by a brigadier general. What did I say? Brigade right. is commanded by a brigadier general. Sorry. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, and and that's where they came from, but yeah. we don't have that organization anymore. Gotcha. Cool. Well, I'm glad I'm running a Marine Corps game today and not an Army game because <laughs> I just totally got my order of battle wrong. Oops. Before I do Medina Ridge, guys, I'm going to talk to you guys because I don't want to make a mistake. <laughs> no, All right. No worries. No worries. Wimmer, yeah. what you got on the cooking? Uh, just trying to get the table, I guess, ready for 
um, the upcoming battle. All right. Did we need to still upgrade those lights like we talked about last weekend? Yeah. Okay. Probably. Uh, can you send me a link of to those if you have the information on what those light bulbs are, and I'll see if I can order some to bring it bring with. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, as well for me, I've just been working on some stuff behind the scenes and getting ready to paint up uh, the Ultra Combat Modern miniatures um, and thinking about some other projects, you know, rule book reviews. Guys, now I'm talking to the audience. Um, if there is a rule system you would like us to look into and review for you, you know, if you're thinking about buying it um, but want to get a, uh, a review and opinion of it before you purchase it, please let us know. Um, more than happy to reach out and see if we can get a copy or just buy it ourselves. Um, I am picking up almost the entire Force on Force catalog. I got a good friend that's uh, willing to sell me his uh, catalog of uh, Force on Force main rulebook and the expansions. So I'll be hopefully. Oh, be... very nice. Yeah. So great little system. So I'll be picking and, it up uh, this week. Uh, that's some of the same guys who wrote. Uh, some of the same guys who wrote um, Battle Group and uh, uh, Northag were also involved in the early writings of uh, uh, Force on Force for Ambush. I can't. I can never remember. It's Ambush, Ambush Valley, Valley and Ambush Alley. Am- Ambush Valley Ambush is the Alley. Vietnam one. Okay, so Ambush Alley is the company. Ambush Valley was their first. Um, uh, which we'll call it their, their first the, uh, expansion. The Vietnam rules. Yeah. 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 And uh, about a week, week and a half ago, uh, essentially, uh, they announced that uh, they're not planning on uh, continuing the series. Uh, the guy that authors them and runs Ambush Alley said, you know, I, I got life, I got life in the way. I got a real job that I got to gotta do that's not going to allow me to focus on this. So there's not going to be an expansion coming out anytime soon. Apparently, they were working on something whatnot so hmm. so may might have been a really good pickup right there to to get those now yeah well i mean yeah, that the rule been out of print, 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 out of print since like 2007 yeah yeah i mean you can get it in pdf format but i like having yeah, a physical right. rule book um so yeah I, i'm i'm happy to uh get my hands on it and he's given me a really good price on it because i looked on ebay you know and other shopping sites and it's like 200 dollars. people are oh, asking for it yeah there's some crazy prices they were asking for this stuff yeah all right so, uh, so that's kind of go ahead well i was gonna say one other thing that we we didn't mention uh is that uh you know we actually did a couple videos you and i yep uh reviewing uh ultra combat modern and ultra combat uh normandy that yep. have been released since the last show so yeah. we yeah. did that also yes we did and uh, it's gotten some nice review uh, comments on those. Um, just, uh, you know, that was our kind of our entry into our review. We're going to fine-tune it and come up with some nicer graphics and things to help, you know, organize a little better. But we just – it really was testing the studio sound and lighting and all that stuff. Um, so we use those, yep. you know, since um, we're kind of in that mode right now. And we figured that would be appropriate because I want to do um, a force-on-force review. I want to do contact front. I would like, to, you know, a real good one. I uh, like to do battle space, um, you know, and any other rules that we want to get into, yeah. um, you know. And, and uh, I had somebody reach out and go, you know, are you guys only miniatures based? You know, I think Marty, you commented on it as well. 
Um, you know, we're not only just miniatures based, it's miniatures, hex encounter, board games, you know, anything historical war yep. game related. So which which by the way, that that gentleman mm-hmm. is uh my daughter's uh college friend's father. So I actually know Rob. Oh, very cool. <laughs> so yeah, so it's, uh, and and he's local to the area. He lives up in Rolling Meadows for those of us that Very cool. are familiar with the uh, Chicago land area. So uh, you know, who knows? Maybe we can uh, yeah. have him join us one of these days. Maybe so. Um, I, I know he's a big World War II guy. Yeah. So, Gaz, are you with us? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, um, because I have something I want to talk about, but it's news related. So I thought we'd you know transition into our thing. But Gaz, before you start. I have a special treat for you. Here is your new intro for the news. It's news time with Gaz. Give me the latest and greatest news. Oh boy, oh boy, it's news time with Gaz. Come on, give it to me. Give me the news. Wow. <laughs> I feel, I don't know, I feel... I can need to shower right now. <laughs> Honored. Honored is how you feel, Gaz. I was going to say, if you don't want it, Gaz, I'll take it. I want I, I want the sexy British chick to be, oh, give it to oh, me. Don't worry, Jim. Yours, yours is coming, my friend. Yours is coming. Oh, okay. All right. All right. We're going to have a yeah, special sure historical little section session, you know, during our podcast, we're going to have a little historical topic and we'll get you a nice little. I am having a hard time sleeping, James. Please put me to sleep. (laughs) So Gaz, my friend, my brother, there you are, sir, your very own intro into the news and please take it away. So we're going to start this week with something that's not due out for a while. So we're quite ahead of the curve with this one. It's publication date is the 27th of May this year. And it's called Absolute Emperor from Osprey Publishing. Okay. Uh, It's another look at what is the Revolutionary Wars and the Egyptian campaign. So we're talking the battles of uh, Austerlitz, Borodino, Leipzig, Waterloo, more famous than the most. And um, I'm interested to see how this one pans out because we all know Osprey do some lovely books and they often come up with some great rule systems in coordination with some, uh, well, varying teams from all over the place. And in this particular one, uh, the players' armies will be composed of multiple cores with command and control being the utmost importance within the game system. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they're going to utilize that and make the game different to most of the other Napoleonics that are out there. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, the gentleman, uh, yeah, the gentleman, Mr. Boyd, who's been part of it, uh, it's a sort of a biographical note within the the uh, entry, is uh, a librarian, was a soldier, and a father, and a war gamer. Uh, and he's uh, also uh, has a historical degree. Uh-huh. So, uh, again, interested to see uh, his perspective on um, what he has done with this gaming system and this rule system. Very cool. Uh, that'll be really interesting, you know, because that's something we really haven't touched on yet is the beast, you know, that is the Napoleonic Wars and all those times. Um, so... You know, I have a whole game system sitting here that I picked up from Adepticon a couple of years ago um, that I have yet to really do much with. But, uh, no, that would be interesting. I'm always, as you know, I'm a rule book collector, so it would be really interesting to see. What else you got for us? Um, Back to a favorite of ours at the moment, uh, Quartermaster 3D. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wanted to touch on them because as it stands today, I think this show will be going out before it finishes, but they have five days to go 
in their war in Iraq Kickstarter. Nice. I backed it. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> so for those of you out there, this is uh, anything from infantry miniatures all the way through to vehicles now. See the seeing all sorts coming on. Uh, I did see the little bird. It looks very nice. I did see the technical. I thought of Jim immediately having a sit rep game that Jim designed the rules for. Technicals became a favourite of both of ours, I think, during that painful experience of walking around the corner. When you make them magically appear, that's the problem. Especially when they're not on my too. With the, is it a douche? Uh, with the shopping cart? Yeah, it's a, it's a shopping cart. I think I, I think it's a douche. It's a it's a fifty cal to be sure. I'm pretty sure it's a douche. It's like yeah, the, the world's most uh, the more the world's most basic technical. But hey, he's, he's firing up. Shopping cart of doom. Yeah. <laughs> All you need uh, is a handful he's of rocks. best. So, you know, God bless him. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. So five uh, days left on that one. Um, five days left on that one. It's not expensive. So. No. And if you got a really you know, good value. We've already printed some of his miniatures, yeah. haven't we? Still, and, yes, uh, we have. Came out really nice. Yeah. Uh, if you check back in our videos in our library, uh, you'll see the detail level of uh, what is in the 28 mil, I want to say. Yes, 28. Uh, range. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. And definitely scalable if you guys out there have already pushing stuff around at 32. As soon as it's an STL, it's obviously easy to make that transition. Yeah. So I, I was thinking about trying to rescale it at 20. And then 15 and see how it looks. You know, nice thing about resin printer, it, it can handle that very easily. Um, but, yeah, no, yeah. they're really nice miniatures. Um, you know, not just saying that because he sent out free files, but he sent out the files to everybody. So, um, no, they're really nice and really nicely detailed. So it'll be interesting to see the final project and what's available. Yeah. Uh, we'll be sticking links in for all of these anyway. Yes, we will. The, the running order. Um, to finish off, um, I'd like to point out, uh, an old friend of ours, Spectre Miniatures. Yeah. Uh, back order is back. So for those that don't know, um, they have quite a large catalog, and uh, they've now made that available again, the figure catalog, nice. uh, so that you can back order. Uh, so you can look through the minis that have gone what you thought was way of the dodo, and they're now back available. Mm -hmm. uh, it can take up to six to eight weeks, I'm saying, for, for some of these stuff, but if it's showing us in stock, then obviously that's a straight release within their normal schedule. Otherwise, the back order, they're going to make to order pretty much for the look of it. Yeah. So all those gaps in people's ranges, the collectors out there, uh, you'll be very happy to know you should be able to pick most of, if not all of, all that stuff up. Very nice. So Yeah, uh, they've really come roaring back to, to life here recently with uh, their recent releases. The uh, They're delivering those and, you know, they're Flying off, flying off the shelves and making it uh, around the world. Yeah, and, and I got, as you may have seen on our Facebook post, um, I received set number one of the new Delta miniatures. Um, I got them within a week from the UK. Um, so shipping is really fast with them. And I guess we can segue into our announcement for the prize. So I have a... Go ahead, Gaz. Um, no, it's oh, Chris. Chris. Uh, question for Gaz. When uh, you're saying that the whole catalog is available, does that include some of the special one-offs for, like, Adepticon or whatever? Uh, I I think you just have to look on their site, see if they're showing them, to be honest, without seeing the catalog myself and going through each for the specific ones. I'm not so sure. Because okay. they had a lot right. of stuff from their Kickstarter, you know, which 
is what created Spectre in the in years ago. Um, that stuff has not been available for many years. So I believe that is part of this is that, you know, stuff that was in the original catalog that hasn't been available for years, um, which means I can reorder my SAS jungle guys, the ones that my dog ate. Um, so I think I have one miniature left out of the original set because mine ate the rest of them, um, which would be nice to reorder those because I really like those miniatures. Those were really nice. So, what did you make them out of? What's that? What did you make them out of? I didn't make them out of anything. Spectre made them. <laughs> Dog treats? Yeah. Well, mine it will chew on anything, you know. Or at least, you know, <laughs> she was a puppy then, so puppies chew. So, um, yep. segueing into our prize, like I said, we uh, the new Delta set came out, and I bought the complete set, you know, not just a four- or five-man set, but every model available. And we got a second set, and it's going to be a prize. So... As I've made an announcement on Facebook, when we hit 500 followers on our Facebook page, we are going to have a mega prize. The mega prize is going to include the entire uh, Delta set that we have. Uh, it will include a coupon code for an Ultra Combat Modern um, Normandy and Modern Rulebook. And... Um, there might be a few other things in there. So it will be a nice prize package available to one lucky winner when we hit 500 followers on our page. So make sure you tell your friends once we hit that 500. I think followers, I think we're about 440-ish, 50-ish maybe, somewhere there about in that park. Um, 455. Thank you, guess. So we're, we're not too far away, so make sure you're telling everybody. Like I said, uh, it's going to be a nice prize pack. It's going to be worth several hundred dollars or pounds. So um, make sure you let people know. Also, are, are we exempt? Yes, you're exempt, Chris. <sighs> members, employees, family fun? members of the SitRep Podcast Incorporated are exempt from winning any prizes in contest on this show. There, I put the well, friends, the SitRep's not. SitRep's not incorporated. We're good to go. Uh, yes, we are. Name in the bucket. <laughs> Yes, we are, actually. We are incorporated as an LLC. Thank you very much. Uh, All right. Anyways, so uh, make sure you're sharing. better lawyer. (laughs) We already have a couple rules, lawyer. We don't need anything else. All right. So make sure you guys are um, (laughs) sharing, you know, the pages, the Twitch channels, the YouTube, you know, um, a lot of good quality programming. Jim throws out a lot of good stuff and, you know, live gaming. Jim, you know, um, before we move on, I just wanted to, um, you know, you put out your weekly little email blip about anybody. Have you thought about uh, or considered having me put out something on, like, Facebook saying, would anybody be interested in a live gaming with you on Sundays to see if you get other opponents? Or do you want to keep uh, it within a work. tight circle? Yeah, yeah. Right now, the, the the distribution list is only about 12 people. Yeah. And uh, I really only get replies from about three or four guys. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a small but elite group. Uh, nevertheless, Ooh, I, um, I consider it elite. Yeah. Wow. Anyone who plays Hex Encounter, anyone who dares <laughs> play Hex Encounters with a Risky is elite automatic. Um, especially if you've done Panzer Leader, which you have. Yeah. Um, at least on big games too, Desert Storm, uh, Prokhorovka, like the biggest tank battle that's ever been. Um. So, uh, yeah, that would be a good idea. We could definitely look into that. Okay. Sure. All right. So, um, yeah, you let me know how you, we'll talk offline. We'll come up with some way of doing that, um, you know, 
so we can do it productively. All right, Gaz, did you have anything else for news, or shall we close out the news? I think we can close it out there today. I don't have a closing thing for you. I will work on that. <laughs> there will fine. be uh, after action closing for you, my friend. <sighs> It'll make you feel really good. Okay. Moving on, uh, we're going to talk about some topics this week, and you know we want to open up your brain cells and your thought processes. Um, if you don't mind, guys, I'd like to start this time. Uh, the first thing I thought of is, you know, Jim does a lot of really good virtual gaming um, on Sundays, and I know um, Colin from Dish Dash had reached out and said at one point, I guess they're using Roll20 to play uh, Ultra Combat Modern. So I was wondering, you know, I know there's Tabletop Simulator and there's Vassal out there, but has anybody considered using like Roll20 or Fantasy Grounds for, you know, especially here in the U.S. we're kind of coming out of uh, a lot of quarantines and isolation, uh, but I know some other parts of the world are still kind of in a lockdown mode. Um, so has anybody had any experience or thought about and how hard or easy it is to build games into like Roll20 or Fantasy Grounds? Um, does that seem like a viable option to anybody? I don't really know much about them, to be honest. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I've seen, honestly, they're mostly used for D and D and role playing. Yeah, it's a top-down view, isn't it? Yeah, so it's, it's a hex, but it almost is a hex-based sort of squad-level game, isn't it? Uh, I mean, they use um, it for you know D and D, Pathfinder, you know, all the RPGs, you know, where they build you know tokens or you know graphic representations of your characters and you know you have maps and stuff you can go through i was just wondering because it does have a lot of built-in things um if anybody's considered or used those outside of you know like i said vassal you know because i have vassal and i have panzer blitz and panzer leader on vassal um you know but that's been around for a god a long long time um you know and then there's tabletop simulator which is nice but it's really difficult to use at least i find it difficult to use um I like Jim's system. Jim, move me to 3512. And it moves. It's really easy, right? So, uh, but I know sometimes people want to be a little more interactive with the game. Um, and I know in the past, Jim has been able to share the program or screen so they can move stuff. I, I was just wondering the different options that, you know, people have availability where they could create games for their own gaming group. So, you know, I was just looking out there because I know, like, I have uh, the DM license for fantasy grounds and which means i'm the only one who has to pay for it and everybody else can get the free license and play in my world and you know i just thinking that might be a good entry for some people so you know some people don't want to invest the money into some of these licensing so i was just wondering um so yeah we've been doing this we we've been trying to sort of explore this problem for the better part of a year now actually more than a year but almost two years um Pretty much ever since I joined Sit Rob Podcast, uh, there's a number of solutions out there, and each one of them has its uh, has its you know its pro and its con. So Vassal, everyone knows about Vassal. The problem with Vassal is um, Vassal works great if you're happy with the game as it comes out of the box. If you don't want to be creative with your rule set, if you don't want to create your own scenarios, if you don't want to build your own systems, mm-hmm. if you don't want to uh, tweak your systems, if you have no, if you have no house rules, in other words, if the game is, if you're happy with the game as it is out of the box, Vassal's great. Yeah. That's absolutely not me. So 
at least for me personally, and this is only a personal thing, um, Vassal's completely off the table. Because yeah. if I had a nickel for every time someone has suggested that we move this stuff over to Vassal without really <laughs> – Watching what we do, yeah, um, you know, I would, you know, all of our financial worries would would, would be over. Uh, let's just put it that way. Um, number one, number two, things like rolled, um, it's a tabletop simulator and roll D twenty or whatever. Yeah, they're mostly for um, RPGs. People have used them specifically for Dark Star. Uh, without me even, you know knowing how to do it. I've never used them, so I don't really know. Mm-hmm. But when Darkstar first rolled out in early 2019, um, people said, oh, I'm going to put this on uh, on uh, whatever, either Tabletop Simulator or D20. I'm pretty sure uh, Tabletop Simulator. And um, it looked okay. It didn't look great. Um, but then again, I don't know how much that is up to the, uh, the, the people using the system or the system itself. It was functional. They were able to make their own pieces. They just didn't look that that awesome or whatever. And as far as porting in, you know, the, the Starship control sheets and all, you know, all the custom stuff, mm-hmm. uh, they seem to do that pretty well. Um, it didn't seem very easy, uh, judging by the people I was talking to. But again, it wasn't me doing it. Um, there are ways to do this where both players can control their their, their, their own pieces or whatever. Um, and there is a certain, uh, what's my call it? Um, there is a certain, uh, value to that. You know, I mean, it's great to call out hex grid numbers and like move units around like a real commander. Um, cause let's face it as a, when you're, especially at these high, higher command levels, you're not some sergeant with a pair of binoculars hiding in a bush. Right. You're a colonel in a TOC somewhere and you're calling out grid numbers on a map. That's, that's literally how war works mm-hmm. at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh, it doesn't feel like a battlefield. Well, it's not supposed to. And, you know, that's not how war works <laughs> once you get to a certain uh, right. a certain pay grade. Yeah. Um, so there are ways to do it. We were trying with uh, certain kinds of, um, of uh, shared desktop licenses, um, which I had access to or which I had purchased, and it was working, but the latency was a problem. It worked for small counter count games like Valor and Victory, big ones like Panzer Leader, not so much, mm-hmm. or games like Dark Star where you have to rotate the piece within the hex, not just move the hex, you know, you know, it was tough. There are other ways you could do it in, in Google files, uh, in Google drive. You could just put the, the, the spreadsheet in Google drive and both sides can update it. But then again, there's a lot of custom graphics in there. And when the other person opens up the file in their system, sometimes you can't stream that because now you're streaming from two computers at once. Mm. Maybe the other person doesn't have the same graphic settings. Maybe the other person doesn't have the same fonts installed on their computer. Excel behaves strangely in Google Drive as opposed to just regular onboard Excel. There's different editions and versions of Excel. There, yeah, there's a host of technical problems. Um, but if we could come up with a with a system that is like, look, all I freaking want. I don't want the computer to roll any dice for me. I don't want the game. I don't want the computer to play the game for me. Computer, get the hell out of my way. I just want both sides to look at a, at a board with movable pieces, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, that would be great. Because the way we're doing it now isn't perfect, but it's the least of all the evils. Right. And but, it works. Uh, yeah, there's always room for improvement. Yeah. No, it's simple and it works. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, it's not complicated as far as functionality. I mean, it's pretty simple, right? Uh, you have a graphic interface. We both can see it. You know, we have one person controlling movement and stuff, which is fine. You know, we roll our own dice. I mean, I wouldn't mind having virtual dice that we can roll, 
you know, uh, like I have a virtual dice roller. Uh, you know, if you, we, we were to build our own system from the ground up, you know, to be a little bit more dynamic, if you will. But, no, I mean, the system you currently use works perfect. You know, it's just I know some people like to have a little bit more hands-on. That's all. Um, but so that's why I was kind of looking at, you know, Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds as possible options. Um, so just just food for thought in these days and times that we're in. So let's transition over to my next topic. What is the most underrated game in historical warfare or what's the most overrated? And guys, don't be kind. Be truthful. If you have a strong opinion one way or the other, uh, please say so. You know, um, people want to know these things, you know, and it's also good discussion points. So would anybody like to start on what's either a most underrated game or overrated game? Uh, I think for me, probably the most overrated is probably Bolt Action. Okay. I, I'm going to agree with you on that uh, one. That was kind of where I was going. Yeah, so I know it's a, a fan favorite and I do like it, uh, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's as good as what people make out. Um, I I mean, there's many aspects of it that I do really like, but the the ability of infantry to go to ground and, you know, take fire is, is you know, I struggle with that a little bit. Yeah. The combat is almost non-existent either way, unless you've got some sort of specialist troop. Um, and yes, in that period of time, combat's fairly rare, let's be honest, mm-hmm. uh, unless you're a Gurkha or a regiment or somebody that wants to really close the gap and get to hand-to-hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I struggle with a, a few aspects of that game. But overall, I think it is a good game. I just don't think it's as good as what a lot of people make out. As for underrated, um, I would probably go with Battle Space for the minute. Really? I think it's still building its PR. But mm-hmm. um, when you look at the the pinch point, all the all the aspects of that game, it's a $9 buy-in. It's a PDF set of rules. It's model agnostic, so you can use whatever you've got. Mm-hmm. Playing space can be as small or large as you wish. It can be played on your own. It can be played as co-op. If you wanted to, you could play in opposition, but although, even though it's not designed for that, you could do that. Right. You know, it's it's accessible because you can download the PDF. You can carry pretty much everything for that game in a very small carry case, you know, uh, and a fold-out map that's a couple of feet maximum. You could even play it on one by one. So as a, as a game, I... I when I say it's underrated, it's not underrated, I don't think, as much by the people that know about it. Gotcha. Gaz, I totally believe uh, everything that you just said about Battle Space, because uh, as you know, I'm a fan. I enjoy playing it. Uh, in addition, it has uh, a small but active uh, community on social media, uh, and uh, there has it's getting to the point where now there has been uh, a – Community generated uh, expansion uh, for covert operations, as well as uh, just last week, uh, Robert Salters, the guy that writes the game, uh, released uh, an expansion. So you know there there's always new stuff uh, coming up. So if you want a little different flavor to how you play the game, it you know it just keeps coming, mm-hmm. and I really enjoy it. Yeah, I, I would agree. That's probably a good one. Uh, anybody else have any thoughts on underrated or overrated games? Jim, I know you always have some, you know, strong opinions about different games. Is there anything that really comes to mind for you? Uh, what do you mean by strong opinions? You make it sound like I, uh, well, I mean, no, I mean, come on. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. you know, truthfully, if you've been in this hobby for a while and, you know, 
you know, especially in your case where you kind of take a rule book and in some aspects tear it down and, you know, re streamline it, rewrite it, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, you, you have a, a different viewpoint than some others do. And, you know, I have strong opinions about some rules as well. And so I, you know, it's always interesting to hear your point of view on these things. Um, I would say one of the most underrated games, um, again, for some of the same reasons that you guys were talking about for battle space, I think is, uh, the game that you're going to be learning about in the not too distant future, uh, Bill is uh, force on force. Oh, okay. Um, force on force. I feel never got a free shake. Um, like I said, it, it kind of got, um, it's kind of been out of print for a while, 2007, 2010, something like that. It's, it's, it went away too quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've kind of clicked around through a lot of game systems. You know, I, I try every, not every game at least once, but I try a lot of games at least once. And, or I, even if I just watch like a let's play or a demo and, uh, I'm like, Oh no. I mean, I hate to say I agree with Gaz as strongly as I do, but as far as, you know, sometimes we call it dolt action or blunt action or something. <laughs> yeah. I've never even played a game of bolt action. So sometimes I'm like, I shouldn't say that much about it because I've literally never played it. I've seen enough Let's Plays and I've seen enough tables to say, yeah, I don't even have to play that game. I can, I can get a whiff of it from here. Um, I will say in, in defense of bolt action, I think a lot of what's air quotes wrong with bolt action isn't the game. It's the way people play it. Mm. And when they take units like you know, they have, they want to have a big pinch leader tank battle in bolt action. I'm, I'm like, uh, no, no, it was originally God, designed no. as an infantry. Yeah. Sk- yeah. It was originally designed as an infantry skirmish game. And I think when you play it as an infantry skirmish game in the right kind of settings, um, like the, like, like the Pacific where the, where the ranges are often very short. The battlefields are very small. The lines of sight are very short. Um, yeah, it might work. It might work actually pretty well when you try to play it in the desert where the lines of sight are a thousand meters plus, um, and you've got tanks and long, we have 25 pounders and stuff like that, you know, hurling shells over 12,000 meters and stuff like that. 28 millimeter doesn't work much less on a skirmish level. Um, but yeah, force on force. I think when you start to play force on force, uh, Bill, you're going to be like, Oh, a lot of this sounds familiar. I see now where, uh, Jim stole most of his rules for, uh, <laughs> sit rep skirmish in 13 hours. Um, <laughs> Some of the DNA from Force on Force, you know, steal from the best. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it emphasizes troop quality. Or it doesn't count, you know, oh, that's a 556 millimeter. This is a 7.62 millimeter. So there's a difference. And oh, that's, you know, 200, you know, powder grain in this bullet and 500 powder grain in that bullet. And it's got HE weapons, night, you know, yeah. it's, are you, are you, you know, a militia? Are you a recruit? Are you, you know, an experienced soldier? Are you a, are a tier one operator or whatever? That's the most important thing. Um, it's a little wonky in that you need a bunch of different dice. Sometimes you're rolling a D12 versus a D6 or a D8 versus a D10 or stuff like that. But then again, that's the point of the game. So mm-hmm. it, it gets rid of a lot of charts by instead using different kinds of dice. Yeah. And uh, the best thing about Force on Force, I feel, mm-hmm. is it literally presents, and you'll see this in, in the main rule book, it literally presents two rule sets. It's two games in one. Oh. And you will be playing both of them at once. So, like, a, you know, one of my favorite sayings is uh, asymmetrical warfare is a term that's misunderstood almost as often as it's, you know, thrown around. Um, asymmetrical warfare, is, uh, Force on Force is about the only commercially available game I've ever seen do asymmetrical warfare right where 
you the, the, the government side, the good guys, whatever you want to call it, the first world forces, um, you know, the actual regular army is doing playing game A and the insurgents are playing a totally different system, totally different mechanics for casualties, for how they take damage, for, you know, this, for how they interact with civilians, you know, a whole bunch of things. And they are playing in rule set B. And it's, you know, it's literally two sides are fighting two different wars. And the guy who wins is the guy who makes the other guy play his game and not the other way around. Um, how we lost in Vietnam is we played the Viet Cong's game. Mm-hmm. And if you do that in force on force, you will lose every time. Um, if the government player can do what we were trying to do in Vietnam all the time, you know, pin down the NBA, pin down the NLF or the VC, whatever you want to call it, pin down those insurgents so that you are fighting a conventional muzzle to muzzle battle. Like we want, like we'd like to do in Korea in world war two. Yeah. We're going to win every single time. On the other hand, if it turns into a grinding insurgent war of booby traps and snipers and killing civilians and all this other stuff like that. Yeah. The Viet Cong's going to win every time. And Val, uh, I'm sorry. Um, um, Force on Force really does a good job with that, I feel. Okay. Um, you know, I'm going to put my two cents in as far as bolt action. Um, I feel bolt action is the World War II skinned 40K. I That's my personal opinion. Um, I've played in tournaments in, 40, in uh, bolt action. You know, I've played friendly games. I've played in a, in a tournament, and I've found myself frustrated at several times during tournaments because the rules at times for some, you know, in the situation just didn't seem to jive well. Um, so, I mean, it's not a bad game. Let's, let's be fair. It's not a bad game. It, I think for what it was designed for, it's a good game. It's an entry level game to get people in, to play a quote unquote world war two type game. Um, it's easy to play. It's easy to get into, um, you know, once you stand, understand the basic mechanics, it's the same across the board, um, you know. But I think using the term they jumped the shark is when they brought out tank wars. Um, you know, as to Jim's point, you know, when you have a book of rules based upon just tanks battling in 28 millimeter on a small table, uh, you know, it's it's kind of silly. It's basically, I'm going to line up my guys on this side, you're going to line up your guys on this side, and we're just going to duke it out, you know, um, you know, with tanks. So, you know, the maneuverability and stuff, it's really hard on a 28-millimeter scale. Now, I know there are people out there, and we have a couple, you know, lifetime listeners of this podcast who love bolt action, and we're not knocking bolt action. We just feel it doesn't scratch the itch that we want or – there are better options out there. So I actually defend bolt action again when it is. Yeah. And again, I, 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 I don't want to sound pretentious here, but when it's played correctly, yeah. Um, or, or I should say, um, when it's applied to the kinds of situations and scenarios, I think for which it was originally designed. Mm-hmm. And I'll also stand up a little bit for bolt action and say. Now, I may be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure that when Bolt Action was first rolled out, they didn't even really call it a World War II historical game. I think it was officially billed as a World War II adventure game or a World War II cinema game or a movie game or something like that. Right. Um, you know, down to the millimeter, uh, you know, badass tactical realism and historical accuracy was never that game's objective. So, 
yeah, it's, maybe it's a little unfair to judge it by those uh, uh, judge it by those parameters. Um, but I mean, as long as you know that you're getting like basically a popcorn game, um, it's fine. And yeah. like, like you said, it's 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 in, it's entry level and it's introductory and it's what gets people into wargaming in general. Especially if like a lot of people in the hobby, they start off playing 40k. It's yeah. definitely very good for that. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Um, before we move on to the last topic for me, does anybody else have any final thoughts on the underrated or overrated games? No? Okay. All right, moving on to my last topic. Um, could a large, long-playing game such as the Campaign for North Africa be played in today's world outside of that minute, die-hard gamer core? Could you bring in some new people and say, hey, let's play this game? Has any do first of all, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Campaign for North Africa. Uh, um actually I've done it. You've played it fifteen hundred hours worth of gaming? It took me about uh I don't know if I played the system you're are you talking about like a, a specific system? Yeah, it's a game called the Campaign for North Africa, and it takes oh, okay. fifteen hundred um, hours to play. I would say I would say it was about fifteen hours, no, fifteen hundred hours. I mean, it yeah. wasn't it wasn't that system. Uh, my brother and I did Arab Israeli Wars slash um, Panzer Leader, all of North Africa from the first Italian invasions, not even of Egypt, but of Abyssinia and Ethiopia and what's today Somalia, all the way to uh, the final evacuation of the Bizerta Bridgehead in Tunis. It took us about two and a half years. Um, running a game like every two weeks or so. If we add it all up, I would come up with about 1,500 hours. The battle report is 270 pages long. Holy moly. Now, can you do that? Yes. Could you do that with you know the average gamer in today's world? Probably not, um, is to answer the question <laughs> quickly. Wow. That's crazy. If you I mean, did that as a hex encounter digitally, would that speed it up? I don't think so. Because uh, um, I mean, you, you can all the play, you, you can play almost. You know, you have the chess games where you you'd make the move, and your opponent, when they see it, can make a move rather than have to, you know, be there together almost. Hexing, okay, so so gaming electronically or virtually doesn't really make each individual turn or game faster. It makes campaigns faster because you can play every day, every other day, every week, as opposed to whenever you can get together. You can play a turn, you can save it, you can, you know, uh, save the file and come back to it later. You don't have to constantly, you don't have to shut down a room of your house for a year um, to constantly, you know, play this game or whatever. Constantly setting up, taking things down. Playing electronically is a little bit harder um, as far as building all the assets, drawing the maps, you know, making the counters, making the units or whatever. At first, once you get a decent library, it's pretty quick. Um, you still have to draw the maps, depending on how accurate your maps are, you want to be. Um, in Panzer Leader or Arab's Relay Wars, that whole general family of games, you don't usually have a custom map for every single game. That's something we do here on the Sit Rep Podcast because mm-hmm. we're that awesome. <laughs> um, but the way it's normally played is you get like a library of like four or five maps, and the maps are what was at the time, again, these are very old games, what was at the time like stunning technology or whatever, like a stunning concept, which was they draw the maps geomorphically, whereas what that means simply is no matter which way you put the different boards together, the roads and the rivers will line up. Um, 
So you get like four or five maps and you theoretically have hundreds of different combinations of maps you can build, um, depending on how you put these, these little cardboard maps together. Mm -hmm. Um, so with that, you would approximate what the battle looked like. Like there was a really rough board. There was a super open board. There was a board with forest. There was a board with buildings and you could kind of, especially if you had more than one set, you could build, you know, maps and, you know, come close, but not really be accurate. Um, if you approach it on that level, yeah, you, you could do this, um, relatively shortly and when i say relatively shortly i mean like you know four or five months instead of two years um but it's still going to be a tremendous undertaking to be sure yeah so i wonder if you could do modern and use google earth to help and then grid lay over it oh that's an idea I, 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 i'm i'm literally doing that later today <laughs> see i like to i like to feed i like to feed into nice he's already ahead of me every time but yeah no. yeah well played, well played guys yeah the <laughs> elbricon the elbricon uh, oil fields and el java airstrip i went to google earth and i also our 13 hours to 13 days map of benghazi was a 24 google images very carefully spliced together um so yeah we've actually kind of done that in the past see if, guys... if i understand your question correctly you guys, and I'm talking about the audience, see the quality of dedication and work that goes into this podcast and the creation of the gaming environments. 24 images carefully stitched together to bring you the realism and grit and feel of Benghazi. Where and else are you going to find like, that? It's all Jim as well. It's <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not the rest of us. <laughs> hey, we, put, we built that battlefield, man. We know we built the countdown. I was going to say, we did... Now, to be fair, we didn't measure out every tree to make sure it was spaced correctly, but we did use satellite imagery to create the compound. So, but yeah. 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 We did use it for reference. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, the campaign for North Africa, what's another big game out there? I mean, you know, what, one thing that comes to mind for me is I've always been interested in the idea of playing the entire American Civil War from Battle One till um <sighs> to um what's the courthouse where he surrenders? Appomattox. Appomattox. So, Appomattox. Yeah. I mean that would take forever in a day. But could it be done? It could be done. How would you? I I don't think you could play it in miniatures. I mean, that would be a lot of scenarios and terrain to build. It would be easier to do like hex encounter or something like that. Um, but you know, things like that. If you could get a dedicate dedicated group of people together that had the same interest and wanted to try something like that, so very interesting food for thought. Let us guys, let us know what you think. All right, Gaz. Why don't you tell us about your topic for the day? Um, so something, I think we've discussed it now and again, mainly to do with ranges and shooting. But mm -hmm. I was wondering, what is or is there a right scale for combined arms tabletop games to try and bring every asset into the game in a realistic way? Um, I was kind of thinking six mil. This time? Yeah. Having having a table and having miniatures on it, and I was kind of thinking about is six mil the right sort of size, one to two eight five. You know that way you can bring aircraft in. You can you know you can have them literally do flybys on a board, and it makes sense that they might not even with ways depending on how big your board is, they might not leave the board in that turn. They mm -hmm. might still be flying off. 
uh, armor engagements, but then artillery is probably still going to be off the board for some some pieces of equipment, you know. So I was just trying to think of there's some really nice small dioramas recently of, of sort of small villages with one two eight fives in them, and imagining that on you know a, an eight by four foot board makes me think that that could be a way to play combined arms. I would say three millimeter. Wow. What do you think, Jim? Three mil, six mil? Um, so I guess the first question I want to ask is, because I want to make sure I understand the question correctly, because um, we've had some discussion about what the term combined arms means. Um, I think me and, uh, me and Chris were talking about this like two episodes ago or one episode ago. So when we say combined arms, we're talking about like helicopters, tanks, infantry, and artillery. On like a yeah, air sea okay. land, air sea land is pretty much. So okay, oh, so once you get into it, sea combat, it. now you're talking about littorial combat, which is, I, I would I would politely suggest that that almost doesn't happen on the tactical level. That's that's no. almost certainly a a uh, an operational level game. Wouldn't it? It'd just be the landings part, I think, of C. Um, and but the firepower you could still bring to the table, like right. in any, you know, because because that's the distances they would be that far away. Well, I'm playing uh, later today at one to ten thousand, where a one inch hex is two hundred and fifty meters, and even then, most of, all, in fact, all of my, except for my mortars, all of my heavy artillery is still off the table. Um. Because the ranges on those M triple sevens, the 155s, Marta can probably tell us. I mean, the ranges on those is like absurd, seventeen thousand meters, something like that. Um, yeah, it can throw it can throw a shell up to like forty three miles. Yeah, if you get like the, the rocket assisted projectiles. Yeah, whatever. yeah. Um, or it's it's absurd <laughs> the ranges that are involved. Um, those, especially with you get once you get into the RAPs. So uh, I understand that, but is that not where we sort of lose combined? Because you're talking firing in an area where troops are in contact from 47 miles away. Is that an asset that would be used with troops in contact? Yeah. Fire missions? So, yeah. So, so I, I, again, yeah, understanding that yeah. in, in, again, we're not talking about skirmish, we're talking about combined arms warfare. Yeah. Troops in contact is a thousand meters between them. Because that's the range at which a lot of times firefights really get started. Especially if we're doing combined arms, in other words, everybody's in a vehicle, even if it's only a warrior or a Bradley or, you know, an LAV or something, you know, you've got a 25 millimeter Bushmaster at least, or hell, even a 50 cal, your effective range is 600 meters plus. Um, depending on your battlefield, you might not be able to see that far. Uh, but as far as if we're going to stick to miniature gaming, again, my go-to is always um uh, it's not just scale, it's command level. So I would go with GHQ Micro Armor. Well, I know it's an oldie but a goodie, but it's yeah. it's stuck around for 50 years for a reason. Six millimeter, um, but not only are the actual vehicles six millimeter, but here it gets, it sidesteps the Achilles heel of miniature wargaming, which is size, scale, size, scale. So many miniature games today, because they want that immersion or whatever, they stick with true line of sight, uh, rules and like I it's fun it looks great but it's also terrible because that requires it demands that your table and all the terrain on your table be to scale with your actual 
individual WYSIWYG units because otherwise true line of sight doesn't work. Um, so any kind of command level game is out the window. There goes all your black powder. There goes all your realistic World War II. There goes your GHQ micro armor out the window. So GHQ micro armor not only six with two uh, with six millimeter gain uh, 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 miniatures, but you put an Abrams on a GHQ table or a Challenger or who knows what a T sixty four. You put a tank or whatever. You, you put a miniature on the table. That's not a tank. That's a platoon mm-hmm. or a troop of either four or five vehicles, depending on your order of battle or whatever, your, your, your T-O-N-E. And it, of course, once you do that, you can dispense with the whole true line of sight rule. That doesn't work. It does make the line of sight rules a little bit more complicated. You don't just stick your eye on the board and look. Um, so once you kind of unshackle yourself from that convention, you're, you know, where every piece on the table is one piece of equipment or one man or one tank or whatever. And the table has to be the scale with that. Um, yeah, you're able to really, I mean, you're still playing on an eight by four table, but you're able to have that. An inch might be 500 meters. An inch might be 50 meters. You know, it depends on the game system you're playing. And that's where you can get the, uh, the amount of elbow room, that you really need for, I think, what you're talking about, combined arms warfare. Your artillery is still going to be off the table, I think, but your aircraft, your helicopters, your your toes, your melange, your swing fires that shoot up to 5,000 meters. Um, you know, you, you can't do that <laughs> in, a, in a scale table. You have to have some sort of a table where, you know, um, maybe the, 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 the terrain on the table is not to scale with the individual playing pieces. I think I think I think that's the way to do it. Cool, cool. I mean, kind of the hex encounters is probably an easier option at that, isn't it? Then well, hex I mean, encounters. So like, so or again, GHQ micro armor's been doing it for fifty years. That the, they, it's still six millimeter. The tables still look amazing. It's mm-hmm. just it it kind of unplugs that, really. that automatic connection between the scale of the table and the scale of the miniature which makes it play in some ways like a hex encounter game, just without hex encounters. Right. And think but, about, but, I'm sorry, Jim, I was going to say, you know, if you think about um, Napoleonic Wars and some of the civil war games that use miniatures, it's not one-to-one, you know, a no. base is a company or a battalion or, you know, a regiment in some cases. Um, Johnny Reb like that for American civil war. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I have um, a, I don't know, I can't remember what size this is, maybe an inch by half inch uh, base with four M1s on it and three mil, you know, and that's, you know, a whole uh, troop of M1s, you know, and you can put that on a table and use whatever rule set. So, you know, once you get past the one-on-one and you're, you know, this this base represents this a company or whatever, then, you know, you can do combined arms. Because, you know, a, a little base of three or four little infantry guys on it could be a whole platoon or company of infantry or a battalion, whatever, you know, depending on the scale you're using. So it's... I suppose what spoils that is the board's still the same. The board's the limiting factor, isn't it? So if the terrain and the hills and the wood lines are still six mil scaled, even though the counters aren't, then the the ranges of the board are still wrong. I mean, it, it, I do I, I do see that in some in some uh, black powder games. Um, 
I remember it was, uh, I was seeing uh, like a, a gorgeous photograph of some Perry, I think it was Perry, uh, a 28 millimeter Union, like federal American Civil War miniatures. Mm-hmm. And they're marching they're down a road and there's a fence on one side and there's a, uh, there's a, a farmhouse on the other. And it looks great. There's trees in the background, a little blue sky, beautiful photograph. Sweet. I'm reading the rules for this. I think this is back when we were investigating the idea of doing Devil's Den, uh, Bill, uh, way back in the day. We're looking at different rule systems for it. And I'm like, oh, I see, like, okay, it's like 18 figures on a base, three ranks of six. Oh, that's a regiment of, you know, up to a thousand men. Okay, well, except you've got 28 millimeter guys next to a 28 millimeter house. So either that house is the size of giant stadium or those men are all like, you know, 400 foot tall Godzilla Kaiju Federals coming yeah. down the road. I don't like the, I don't like the Confederacy's chances at this point. You've got, you know, <laughs> a battalion of Godzillas in blue suits coming down the road. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, it, I, I totally. Comes, when it comes to that, you're doing abstract thinking really, you know, whereas you got to understand that the house is just a piece of scenery. It's not, you know, to scale to the demonstrated size of your base of guys, you know, so. Or just like that one figure might be a company battalion regiment or whatever. Yeah. That one house represents like a small town or right. a village. Yeah. Something like that. So, question, when it comes to some of the stuff where you guys are saying artillery is off the, the board, is there anything where you're doing counter battery? Uh, it depends on the it depends on the on the, uh, on the game. Really. It depends on the era. Um, I am making up house rules for um, counter battery fire. Yes, so the enemy fires, and then during your artillery phase, you get you know radar counter. You're, you're talking about like like counter battery radar stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where you make a roll, and depending on how good you are, you can now use some of your artillery to make a roll. It's all off the table. Um, it's now your artillery is shooting from miles off of your side of the table to miles off the enemy side of the table, uh, reaching out and trying to, uh, to, to hit his artillery. And of course there are counter tactics to that. There's all the displacement is the easiest one. Um, the Iraqis weren't very good at that in the Gulf War cause they entrenched too deeply. Um, they got a little bit too comfortable in their own fortifications. Uh, but for people in the, in the audience who might not know what we're talking about, um, starting in the 80s, or maybe even the 70s, they were experimenting with something called counter-battery radar. So the enemy shells you from God knows where, 20, 30, sometimes, like uh, Marty was saying, with rocket-assisted projectiles, 40, 50 miles away. Um, you're never going to see them. I don't care what scale you're playing at. <laughs> you know, um, You're never going to find them. But you, you're... you're uh, you got like three batteries of artillery in your regiment. Now your regimental HQ might have a counter battery radar and that will literally track the incoming enemy artillery shells on radar. And with some quick, you know, calculus and math, especially, you know, in Gulf War when we rolled out GPS, you can literally sort of reverse trace where that shell came from, fix those grid coordinates and immediately drop a barrage on those. You never see it. You have no idea what's there. Might be, you know, an ice cream truck for all you know. But as far as your radar and your math goes, that is the point where those shells originated from, those enemy shells. I want that grid square dead. I want everything in there dead. I want it dead now. God knows how many 155s drop on there, and um, hopefully you silence the enemy artillery. Again, all the enemy has to do is fire off his batter, his barrage, rounds complete, displace. Mm-hmm. And he's got three or four different firing positions pre-staged at regimental level where his batteries can go. Um 
even if you do, even if you miss the enemy artillery, you're forcing him to slow his rate of fire because he has to keep splicing all the time. So um, I'm assuming that's what you're talking about, Chris. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've seen rules for it. Again, it's always very abstract because you're you're literally shooting units that are off the table at other units that are off the table. But that's the general procedure. The enemy fires during his phase. Your counter battery phase. There's a there's a there's a there's a role. It depends on the quality of your counter battery equipment versus the enemy's you know electronic warfare. This is where you get into the whole electronic warfare spectrum of, of the of the battlefield. And if you succeed and then the enemy did not displace or whatever, the enemy can either displace, which means he doesn't get to fire that battery next turn, or he cannot displace, which means he's going to accept the results of your counter battery roll and you know you go from there. This is the this is the quick version. Okay. I just didn't know if there were any systems that took that into account. I don't know if I've seen any commercially available, but there are players that do it. Okay. GDW Assault, way back in the 80s, I'm sure had something like that. I just don't remember off the top of my head. Um, I'm sure they had to have. I just don't remember the exact rule. I've got the rule book. I should take it off the shelf and look at it. Um, but that was a game that was on that level of command and also that level of realism and tactical complexity where I'm sure they would have had something like that. Okay, because any modern thing nowadays, especially American versus Russian, you're going to counter battery is huge. Because oh, for them, artillery is such a huge part of their attack. Absolutely agree. Awesome. All right. Gaz, any final thoughts on it? I, you know, for my final thought on this is, you know, if it's miniature-based, if I understand going into the game I'm playing that this may not, this counter may not be a one-on-one, -on -one, it's representing a, a troop, a squad, platoon, whatever, and, you know, and the board looks good and it's immersive, then I really don't care, you know, because, you know, think about it from this point of view. Team Yankee, when it first came out, the scale is 1 to 100th, right? Um, the aircraft were 1 to 144th. So, you know, and you still had helicopters and stuff on there. Um, so it's just a matter of what you're willing to accept and, you know, does the rules play well? You know, even at 15 millimeter, I think Team Yankee is basically a parking lot when you get a whole bunch of armor on the table. We found out at the boot camp. You know, when we were doing those scenarios, what were those table sizes, guys? Four by fours? Uh, four by four. And, you know, the, the, you had a so whole, the, you know. The what? tables were a little small. That was just there. They were trying to get a lot of people Yeah, involved. yeah. So, I mean, but even on a six by four table, you know, if you had all that armor on there, it could be, you know, difficult to maneuver. We were but, playing on a four by four table, and I could not get my six hind gunships on the table all at once. They're, they're, uh, they had to be flying at different altitudes because they're, they're rotors. Six four by six um, fifteen millimeter pines side by side take up more than four feet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the rotors were like interlocking with each other. I'm like they're flying at different altitudes or something. I don't know. I agree. I agree. All right, Gaz, did you have any last thoughts before we move on to no, Jim's uh, topic? No, I'll do that. All right, Jim, take it away, sir. All right. So my topic was kind of uh, was in some ways uh, kind of similar. Um, it comes down to like what you're willing to accept or whatever. So we were playing our uh, our um, El Kafji uh, Marine Corps versus Iraqi Sixth uh, Armored Division battle a couple weeks ago in 15 millimeter, and I did not have a, uh, I was, I had Marines, 
versus you know Iraqi tanks and, in and a modified version of battle system. So I pulled a counter in that game. You pull counters to see what happens, like random events that take place during the battle. And all of a sudden, the, Mar the Marines got an airstrike. So I'm supposed to get a Huey Cobra or a Super Cobra, technically, mm -hmm. an AH-1W Super Cobra on the table. I don't have an AH-1W Super Cobra in 15mm or really any scale. So I had a 1 to 100 Apache. So I brought that in there, and I put a little note on the bottom of the video that says, hey, guys, this is supposed to be a Cobra. It's got Cobra stats. I know it's an Apache. I'm sorry, but this is the best miniature I have for this unexpected event in the game. Um, I wanted to have an, an actual Cobra in my next game. That's the one that's coming out later on this week. And that was uh, – I said, okay, I need a Cobra in 1 to 100. I need it, like, literally within two days. Mm-hmm. Like, Never mind ordering it, having it delivered, finding it, having it ordered, building it, painting it, you know, all nine years. I need this all done within like 36 hours. Needless to say, I can't order a miniature. So I downloaded a, uh, a papercraft, um, an AH-1. Uh, it's up on our Discord channel. It came out looking pretty good, but it's technically not a miniature. Um, it's three-dimensional. It uh, looks better than some 1 to 100 Cobras I've seen in Team Yankee. You know, they're, they're difficult models to build sometimes. Um, any helicopter is, to be fair, to, to, to Battlefront. Um, helicopters in miniature are very fragile um, as playing pieces. Mm -hmm. uh, so I guess my question was, okay, at what point, or is, is there, is there, are there any thoughts between, okay, look, there's supposed to be this unit. I don't have this unit. So I can either use a, a beautiful miniature on my beautiful table that is not quite accurate i.e. That, that Apache that I used uh, for the Marines at uh, El Kafchi, mm -hmm. or do you guys and people in the community prefer to use a not quite accurate, uh, or I should say a, a, a proxy piece? So you either use a gorgeous miniature that's incorrect, or you get the right miniature, but it's just like literally a cardboard cutout, or it's a quarter, or it's a counter, or who knows what. You just put a little flag on the map and say, okay, that's supposed to be an AH-1 Super Cobra. Or you know whatever is is does does the group have any kind of uh, thoughts about you know beauty on the table or you know the actual correct miniature and this doesn't have to be historical you'd be playing uh, 40k and you know you're supposed to have who knows what uh, I know they're very serious about you know the actual fidelity of their actual pieces um, they can actually affect gameplay oh that that space marine has a bolter he can't use the flame weapon because I'm looking at the miniature I see a bolter <laughs> or is it okay to use a you know the the right uh, a gorgeous miniature even if it's not exactly the right um, uh, piece that you that you're trying to represent on the table? Is there a trade off there between those two extremes? Um, I think for me, I'd go with as long as the silhouette was right because I know I can download them, print them off on a sheet of paper, and cut them out and scale them so that I understood the ranges and how I hit that and how it hits me. I think I'd be okay with anything like that. I'd probably prefer that just so I know the dimensions and, and you know, exactly where all of it is. Yeah. I, I think if it's roughly representative, the same size, you know, um, I, I agree. And as long as you discuss it beforehand and say, hey, I don't have a Cobra. I'm going to use this instead as a Cobra. No problem. It's a Cobra, right? Uh, I think the only time that becomes a sticking point is if you're playing in some kind of tournament or something and they expect you to have the actual piece. But, if, you know, if you're playing, you know, with your friends or whatever, 
you know, casually, then I don't think it matters. Now, it might take away from some of the visual representation. Like if, say, I don't have a, um, you know, a new modern artillery piece, so I use something from the Civil War. That might be a little stretch, but, you know, I don't think it really matters. To, personally, to me, I don't can seem to be bothered by it. Oh, some of my favorite, like if I look back through the ages of time, like some of my best tank games have been um, quarters, dimes, pennies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's where quarters are German tigers, uh, dime or, or uh, yeah, quarters are quarters are tigers, uh, nickels are panthers, and pennies are T thirty fours. You used to say that table didn't look very impressive, <laughs> but uh, you know but you, you knew what everything was, and fun, you yeah? were. Yeah, yeah. However. That's not everyone. I mean, some people, the whole point of the hobby is to put on a great table. And then when you put it on YouTube, obviously, visual impact is important. Mm -hmm. And here I am on YouTube, Mr. Historical Editor, talking about, you know, Marine Helicopter Air Support, and I put a big old Apache on there. Not only an Apache, but I think it was the D Longbow, which I don't even think was out during Desert Storm. So it wasn't even the right Apache. Um, <laughs> and I was like, look, guys, I'm sorry, but this is just the best I have right now. Um and then I like put in a couple 2 a.m. nights uh, trying to build a uh, cobra out of paper, um, which once you finish painting it, it actually didn't look too bad. Um, or once I finished painting it, it didn't look too bad. Uh, mm -hmm. It's going to be in Wednesday's game, so everyone, uh, you know, judge for yourselves uh, how it looked. Just do know that that's not even a miniature. That's something that got downloaded off the internet as a sheet of cardstock, scaled out, repainted in Photoshop, printed out on a laser printer, you know, cut it out and folded together. So it's. Uh, it's desperate times for desperate, you know, desperate, desperate times call for desperate measures sometimes. Hey, I think well, one that's nice is that a cover is fairly flat. That, that does help you out. It, it was, it was, you know, I would not try to do this with, with a, I say a, a T-55. Um, the design of the Cobra definitely lended itself to um, putting it together this way. It's, it's, yeah, it's got very flat slab kind of a to construction in any event. That was definitely a huge help. Yeah, I'm a fan of the the rule of cool. I like things to to look good, but you can't you can't let that stop you from playing the game. I mean, you know, if you got you you got to get what what you got. You know, uh, you know, uh, I didn't have any problem uh, seeing you throw the Apache on there the other day because that's what that's what you had. You know, you you, you didn't use a t Apache stats; you used Cobra stats. All right, great. Let's you know there there we go. You know, uh, in order to to get the the feel and kind of like uh, Gaz was saying, the the size and the silhouette right. You know, you're you're using uh, a paper miniature or you know paper thing instead of a, a miniature. I'm you know I'm I'm cool with that as well. You know, let let's not let not having the exact right miniature prevent us from playing our game. I guess is really right. my point. And you know, make it make it as cool as you can, but you know. You know, drive drive on. Let's play the game. That's what it's about, isn't it? I mean, we're not building dioramas here. We're we're playing games. I agree. Cool, Jim. I need a list of all the vehicles you need so I can find them, print them, and send them to you <laughs> in the scales that you wish. We'll just throw oh, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a list. Blow your mind. You'd be like, wow. How much is the shipping again? <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's that's. that's that's kind of from UK? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, well, Gaz, you're gonna need more resin. I'll just say that right now. Uh, yeah. Because if, if Jim sends you a list, 
Jim, today I'm playing a brigade-sized game, and like several brigades on a side. Basically, it's the front end of two divisions coming together. So, yeah, uh, yeah every every number I'm giving you is going to have two zeros on the end of it, as far as you know what vehicles I need. <laughs> Fair word of warning. Not a problem. Not a problem. Oh no! <laughs> awesome. Game on. Gaz's excuse to start the printer farm. Uh, you see, the printer's really easy because yeah. it's set it going. It's yeah, like it yes, a lot you didn't give us an update on your new printer there. Let's uh, finish Jim's topic, and then if you can give us a quick <laughs> update on your new printer, because I'm interested to hear how it's going, and then we'll close out the show. Uh, that was pretty much all I had oh, okay. for, my, for my topic. Okay, well, uh, you know, my final thought on that, Jim, is I don't want – something to prevent us from playing a game. So if ha- having not having the exact miniature is cause for somebody to say, no, I don't want to play it because you don't have the right miniature. Well, honestly, screw them. You know, I, I don't want to play with you anyways, because you're an idiot and you can't use your imagination. Um, so I, I say, you know, if you don't have the exact miniature and you say, Hey, I'm going to use this as a proxy. Perfect. Let's play. Right. So um, that's how I feel about it. So, all right, Gaz, why don't you give us a final update on your brand-new Frozen printer so I can, you know, sit here blissfully as I try and decide when and which one to buy. So There's a there's a huge difference between it and the Anacubic Frozen. Really? Damn it. There is, yes. From its practicality, uh, the ability to use it easily with the basic knowledge of having used a printer before, mm-hmm. you, I think... I've pretty much had consistent prints since the seventh print I had. Um, and because I can do all this in the background and I'm helping out some friends with some bits that they just can't get or you have to buy a box set to get, uh-huh. I'm probably in the range of prints, I don't know, 150, wow. maybe 200. Holy cow. And the only failures I have is through my supports now and again. Mm-hmm. Or if it's just on a, a certain part of the plate that mustn't be quite as happy on a specific, you know, one specific small square few millimeters where it just doesn't quite hold the supports right, uh, which I had today for the first time in a long time. I had just a couple of supports had broken on a rotor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm chuffed to bits. Uh, it's more accurate. It does better detail. The combination of the curing station that I bought makes life so much easier because, again, like most things, if you've short a time, having the ability to just move from one machine, put it into a tub with IPA in, put the whole tub onto a curing uh, cleaning station, yep. set the timer, walk away for five minutes, come back, take it out, flick the items off the plate, let them dry again. You, so at that time there, you've only used a minute to, mm-hmm. from, from all the way through. And then I I clean up and cut the supports before I cure. So while the item's still soft, so I can get a clean cut with a yeah, blade. Yeah, it's uh, better than trying to cure it, and then because I'm struggling yeah. on some um, six mil tanks, I'm breaking everything. So yes, cut support uh, before I, curing. I would say, yeah, I will say that you have to any any way your blade goes where it shouldn't will mark the model. Mm-hmm. So if you just skin the end of it, it it leaves a mark that then ruins the the perfect finish that you had. Yeah. Um, so handling blade handling is important. Having a comfortable uh, scalpel of some sort that you can wield very easily. Um, I've since got. I now have numerous blades. I've got about six. I have some that are flat, so they're straight cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have some that are quite long uh, with a very 
you know, low gradient, you know, like 30 degrees, 20 degrees. So I could slide through other supports to get to stuff that's deeper. Yeah. Uh, without having to pull away supports prior to cutting it. And yeah, I mean, uh, I did uh, a really nice uh, Minoan shield that had some pattern work around its edge in 28 mil and that that came out stunning. So really pleased with that. And overall, yeah, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that technology has jumped from when I bought the Photon, which was only a couple of years ago. Yeah, It's moved along considerably. Uh, in the frozen range now, you can get the Mighty, which I think is around 8.99 inches, yep. uh, corner to corner. I would, I would honestly wait until there's a 4K mono machine that could do a 200 by 200 meter plate, that meter millimeter wow. plate. <laughs> yeah. Damn. <laughs> they're, they're out there. They're already printed houses and boats. I'm right. just not sure. But hey, who knows? There might be a time when we can, you know, for a couple of grand, pick up a six by four table generator uh, and just scale Google Earth and just print your board. Yeah, right. And come out the other end. That would be epic. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll take all the work away. Just, yeah, I'll have Google Earth. Uh, yeah, there we go. I'll just have that area there in wherever, Siberia. Let's go do some special ops over there. <laughs> <laughs> but again, if you could recycle it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the other part of it as well. Uh, but no, it's um, enjoying that part of my, I say that part of my hobby, it's a really small amount of my time, but yeah, it is, I suppose, hobby Very cool. at the moment, learning about that. Uh, I've got my settings locked in now, like I say, barely have a failure. Of the failure I had today, I had two supports fail on a plate of 12 miniatures, mm -hmm. uh, and that's just two connection points on a whole plate of which were all the same miniature as well, posed the same and supported the same, so uh, they might have just been a bit of a bit of resin from a previous run because I don't clean my resin every time. Gotcha. Um, I just, I move it around and see if there's any bits in it or yeah. if there's any stuff. I think I probably do between sort of seven and 10 prints before I change the, uh, clean the vat. Mm -hmm. uh, I just had to any... uh, replace my film for the first time. Um, shows you how much okay. I have not been using my printer. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been looking at those printers and, I I might pull the trigger and get the one like you have, but I'm really looking at that big one. Um, that real. It's not that much one. extra. A couple hundred bucks, I think. What the the big one? Yeah, for the mighty. Uh, the big no, the big big one. The oh, okay. Yeah, the one that's like twenty five hundred dollars. So. Oof. I that just wait six months and that'll be a thousand. Yeah. The technology moving literally that fast. Yeah. So. I think um, I think yeah it's. It's definitely part of the industry. Everybody needs to be, well, maybe not so much in historical, but in in general. Yeah. Because historical stuff can't be um, copyrighted the same way the likes of Games Workshop copyright their products through specific names and IPs that are locked in. Mm -hmm. um, technical data for World War II vehicles, for example, is available everywhere. Therefore, can't really lock it down, and right. that's why there is a whole world of STL files out there. Yeah, it's just how good they are, and we still want to support. Most of us still want to support our tabletop gaming anyway, so we mm -hmm. still go and buy from, you know, Battlefront miniatures, Wallard games, the Perrys, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, it's, right. it's it's always going to be that way. I think where we support our our addiction. <laughs> yeah. 
I agree. I agree. But okay. having some having some things to be able to, you know, okay, I've not got he's he needs an RPK and I've only got an AK forty seven. I don't want to go out and buy another set of miniatures to just get that. I can just go to an STL, scale it, print it, put it on the model is 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 a nice option. And you can do that, that with uh, Spectre miniatures oh. now. They have those weapon packs you can print. Yeah. They, they just, in fact, their Facebook, one of their most recent posts is a, a nice layout of all the ammunition bins and such, a lot of the scattered terrain, uh, or objective markers, if you wish that way, um, that they've recently had printed that look really good uh, yes. with two of their miniatures to give them a, a form of scale as well. Excellent. So, yeah, could, you can see that they're definitely absorbed and moving forward with catering to the STL community. Excellent. All right, guys. Well, that has been a grand show. Um, I want to thank the command team for spending another Sunday with us as we uh, close out this show. And uh, remember, when we hit 500 follows on our Facebook page, we're going to give away a nice big prize. Also, I think we still have a couple other prizes I have to give away. I have the uh, other set of miniatures from Quartermaster 3D that I printed up. Uh, all boxed up and ready to give to a winner. I had already sent out a congratulations to one person, and he goes, well, thank you for nominating, but since I'm best friends with the guy who's behind the Quartermaster 3D, I would like you to give it to somebody else. I'm like, cool, all right. So, oh, um, Nice. Yeah, well, he already has them all, you know. He, he's working with right. them on the project. So, um, so we'll send it off to another lucky winner, and uh, – you know what? I don't think we ever heard back from the person I sent off the thing for the Spectre starter set from our 13 days, 13 hours. So I, I'll have what? to pick another winner. Yeah. So. Um, you know what? I'll just take care of that. I'll swing by and get those. Will you? That's awfully big of you, Little. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, guys, for the rest of the command team, uh, we want to thank you. Make sure you check out Jim's Sunday afternoon wargaming. Wargaming with Jim on Sundays. Uh, and then on Wednesday, we will have programming, and I believe, Jim, you're going to be putting out episode one of two of your next uh, war game video playthrough? Yeah, um, that's coming out on – yeah. Episode, uh, so part one of two is coming out uh, on Wednesday. Not sure when part two will come out, probably next Wednesday. And then between those two, Saturday is the grand finale of Op Center Desert Storm as well. Yeah, and it's been a really great series. Uh, well done again, Jim. Nice, nicely produced. Um, so guys, you're welcome. So that's going to be the show for today. This is season six, show three. And for the rest of the team, this is Bill and take care. We'll see you soon. You have been listening to the Citrep podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the show. Make sure you like and subscribe to all of our channels on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Discord. Remember to join us every other weekend for a new episode of the podcast. And don't forget our other programming on Wednesdays and Sundays. Thanks for listening. 